I have first what I think will be a brief reflection on the new year, and then let's do it. Christianity Today, impeachment, and a Christian civil war over the president on today's Core True Act show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening, and I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening here with me. This is one topic where I do not bemoan the fact that my show is once a week. Sometimes topics come up in the news, they're very popular to talk about on talk radio and specifically in Christian circles where I primarily concern myself. And I bemoan the fact that well, when I finally get to a microphone on that, we're going to already be way past all of those of that news cycle and some other news cycles. Like it even occurred to me as I was thinking about end of the year stuff because uh, coming up here soon I'll be filling in I think all of next week. Maybe it's the week after. I'll be filling in on Christian Worldview with Tony and Hannah. I'll be filling in the Tony portion of Tony and Hannah, which, by the way, you should listen to on his radio talk 91.9 and 92.9. You can find it anywhere on the internet at hisradiotalk.com. We'll also be on Facebook Live. I started thinking about stuff that happened this year, and we had that huge fire at Notre Dame as I was looking back at the year. And, like, it just went away. We're just over it. Gone. We just We got over it in, like, two weeks there were so many stories I looked back on and thought, man, I th- that should have been a bigger deal. I looked back and saw that uh, Jesse, Jesse Smollett thing again. Like, that should have been such a big deal. And we just moved on. And so I, I sometimes bemoan the fact, well, by the time I finally get to sit down and talk about a topic, it's already going to be gone and no one's going to care anymore. I think it's been good that some time has passed on this Christianity Today editorial where this editor-in-chief said that President Trump should be removed from office. I've been able to see all the reactions and then the reactions to the reactions and all the open letters and editorials. And now there's an entire menu of things before me. And I think I have something unique to say to you, whether you're a believer or not, about the role of Christians in government, the role of Christians in politics, and what does it mean to be a believer in Jesus in the United States of America, specific to our time and context. We're going to do that on the show. I don't want to do it the entire show, but I have a feeling that after this New Year's reflection I'm going to give you, that that's probably going to take us all the way up until the sports segment. So let's get started right after this. First, my name is Corey Truax. I am the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church, and Beachwood Church meets in Greenville, South Carolina at 1030 on Sunday mornings, and you... Yes, you are invited. We're dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk here on the Corey Truax Show. Thank you for listening on 91.9 and 92.9 His Radio Talk. Or if you are listening on the podcast, wherever you find it, first, thank you. That's a swell thing for you to do. Now I sound like Joe Biden. Malarkey, swell, and all those other old school words. But it's very nice of you to do. Thank you for doing it. And if you share the show on social media, that'll be a thing that makes me happy. And as we sometimes say in jest... Uh, It's when angels get their wings, is every time you tell someone about the show. Let's talk about the new year first. I am a particularly reflective person. As I've grown older, that's been the case. That there's some degree of sentimentality that comes out in me this time of year, every year. You know, I I tend to be someone who, who likes to buck systems if I think the system is unjustified or if I just think it's dumb and we're doing things for tradition's sake, I mean, I, I'm not a, I am definitely not a fan of doing things for tradition's sake. I like to know what's right, what's wrong, not how we've always done it. One of the ways 
I'm not like this. I break my own rule where I want to be different. I want to come on the air and talk about stuff that no one else is talking about. I, I want to have an opinion that no one else has. Well, like, I love that. I love doing that. And there's a group of people like me who like to say, at the end of the year, all these end of the year review shows, you know, everyone does that. It's so lazy. And I go, but, but I like it. I, I like to look back over the year. I like to think about the significant things of the year. I, I just don't like to, th- to think the year happened to me and then we forgot it. Like, I just enjoy going back over sermons that I preached that we had at Beachwood for my, for my big brother, our lead pastor, Doug. I like to think back over my, my nephews and, and nieces, things that happened in their life this year, even in, on, the, on this show. Like, I, I like to go back and see which episodes were most listened to, think about what's changed. Like, I, I am particularly re- reflective this time of year. And so as I reflect, I also then like to plan ahead. And so I just want to give you my my goal going into the year. And maybe you want to join me in it because maybe what I'm about to tell you really resonates with you and you go, "Man, yeah, that's me." And maybe I maybe I should join you in this goal. So, here's what I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about the concept of Sabbath a lot. There is a sermon I think I have out somewhere on the podcast feed. I might not. Where, as I was going through the the book of Mark this year at Beechwood Church, there was one sermon there where Jesus declares himself Lord of the Sabbath. And there was two disciplines there that he was not reinterpreting or reintroducing, but he was causing us to think deeply about and to think properly about the two concepts for fasting and Sabbath. And so it stuck with me all year because I think it is, it is the thing I am most guilty of. In my own sanctification, the thing I am most guilty of is either my own pride or it's my own lack of Sabbath. And I, I taught at Beechwood this year something I needed to have taught to myself. I think the Lord taught it to me. That there was a distinction in this idea of rest for God's people. That in all the cultures around the Jews, all the cultures around God's people, the cultures were do, do, go, go. Seven days a week, every day looks the same. We grind away to get our daily bread. We grind away to put, put away wealth. We just grind and keep going and moving. And there was this thing that as Jews went throughout all of these cultures and moved into those cultures, one of the ways they were so peculiar, one of the ways they were so distinct, it was obvious they worshiped a different God, it was obvious that they lived by different principles, is that from Friday night until Saturday night, they didn't do anything. That they were resting. And they, this had to be a peculiar thing for the world around them. Like, how, how can you just stop? How can you just rest? And it was a testament to the world where Jews were able to say, God's people are able to say to the world around them, I'm not my provider. I can stop because God is my provider. They could say to the world around them, my identity is not in what I earn or put away. It's not in the job I have. My identity is in my God and I can stop. My identity and my freedom, my security, is in not the effort I put in and the righteousness I put forward. I can 
I can rest. I can stop. And they were different. They were peculiar. There's other ways that God marked his people in those cultures, but and one of the ways that God has given us as a gift is, cons- guys, consider, consider what that means. We have a God who says, I'm building into the rhythm of your life the idea that you should rest. And when you rest, you are making this testament to yourself, to the world, and to God. I need you. I rely on you. Not my own ability. Not my own intellect, not my own cunning, not my own work ethic. I rely on you. And I look back on this year, I reflect on this year and really my entire life, and here's what I know about me. I am a doer. And it's so toxic. To the extent that I wonder if it does show a lack of faith. That I think if I don't do it, it's not getting done. And I have this God who could, he could, I think he says it to me in different ways in Scripture different times. Sometimes it's the attitude of, hey man, I don't need you. <laughs> I will accomplish my eternal purposes without you. In the 80 years you're going to give me in the upstate of South Carolina. Yeah, the kingdom of God will be fine without you. I think that's one of the tones I hear. But the other one is, hey man, you can chill. Why, why, do, why are you working so hard? Why, what are you trying to earn? And so, maybe you could hold me accountable. Maybe you identify in this. I would love to hear from you uh, if you identify with everything, anything I just said there. You can reach the show at CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com. You can call in and leave a, a voicemail on the Anchor app. You can find me on social media, but... That's that's the, the spirit I know I've been walking in. And so this year, one of my goals is I want to walk in Sabbath. And one of the one of the things I think it's important to recognize that the actual purpose of Sabbath, it's the, what Jesus was teaching when uh, what, what happened is the, the disciples were walking through a field, they picked some things. Um, any, well, anyway, there's a whole co- set of conversations here. Jesus had a conversation when he healed a withered hand as, as well. Jesus was making the, the, making the concept clear. The idea of Sabbath, this thing I've commanded of you, is not to just abstain from things, but to do those things that make you whole. So it wasn't the abstaining from healing that, God, that Jesus needed to do. It was the doing of the healing to make whole, because that's what Sabbath does. Sabbath makes you whole. And that's going to look differently for a lot of people. I think for those that work inside and work primarily with their minds, that that might look for you on a Sabbath where you take time. It might look like getting outside and going for a hike. It's, it's actually moving your body. That's what's going to make you whole. For some of you, and you work in isolated situations, it's going to be getting around people and around your family that that's going to be that which makes you whole. And I've been thinking about the things that might make me whole. So in this new year, what I'd like to do is to show myself to be peculiar, to be distinct in this world by having some emotional rest in Christ, to have mental rest in Christ, to have physical rest in Christ, and mark out time, make it a discipline. I'm going to declare to myself, 
that not everything depends on me. And I have a good father on whom I can lean. If you identify with any of that, I'd love to hear from you. Show at gmail.com. Show at gmail.com. I'd love to know what your goals are going for the year. For me, I want to be someone who practices the concept and the discipline of Sabbath much better. When we come back, I do suspect it's going to be the rest of the show. Christianity Today's editor-in-chief wrote an opinion editorial saying the President of the United States should be removed from office in this impeachment process. It has sparked, at least on social media, something of a Christian civil war. And so I want to come back and uh, I want to lit- litigate that disagreement amongst these different sets of Christians. We'll do that when you come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Connect to it on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I'd be grateful if you would do that. When I say connect to it, I do mean me because I am the show. Much like Palpatine said in Star Wars that he was the Senate, I am the show. And so connect to me on any of those platforms. I would love to get your thoughts specifically on what we're about to talk about. I have some some pride around the fact that I don't get my my agenda from what's ever in the news. And I've, I think I've expressed some of that before. I think there's a lazy way to do broadcasting and podcasting. And that is turn on Fox, turn on, turn on MSNBC, whatever they're talking about, you just talk about it and give your own opinion of it. We don't do that here. I don't do that here. We do deeper stuff. That's why we say the, the, the show is about smarter, deeper, better talk. And this, this next topic here, it ha- Man, the Christian world, it has ruled social media the last two weeks or so. There's been lots of opinions out there. And I, I don't do a lot of politics on the show anymore. I had a conversation about this with somebody recently who's listened for years. And they've, they've noticed, I just don't do it. I do other things. And the reason why is because I, I think I finally put politics where it belongs. It's just not that stinking important. And so there's just so many other things that we should focus on. But uh, here's the, uh, before I give you the facts of the case, let me give you one opening word here. This controversy reminds me of what happened when President Trump went to McLean Bible Church in Virginia. David Platt, one of my favorite people in all of the world, he's the the pastor there, and there was a controversy because as David Platt stepped off stage, if you recall, this is last year, he was being told by some of the elders, President Trump's on his way, he wants to be prayed over. And it, it, it caused quite the firestorm because David Trump, because uh, David Platt had Trump on stage, did the prayer, then he had an apology letter, and then he, an apology for the apology, and it set off a big uh, disagreement inside the Christian world as to what should have happened there, whether Platt should have had him on stage or had him sat down, whether he should have let him come in at all. There was a big conversation inside the faith regarding that. This is similar, and it's a lot of the, the same people. This is mind-blowing, but people who say that Jesus is is the center of all things, they get divided by the host of The Apprentice, and who ended up being president of the United States for four to eight years. They get they, The eternal kingdom of God gets splintered apart by a politician, and it's so sad that, that this guy has had so much power over people. So that's one opening word. It reminds me of that. The other opening word, and then we'll do the facts of the case. I love 
Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees when it came to taxes. The Pharisees tried to set Jesus up with an with an impossible situation when they asked him about taxes. They say, "How do you, when it comes to taxes, do you give do you do you, do you pay your taxes or sh- or should we not to to Rome?" They're they're saying, "Pick a side. Either be a Jew who wants to throw off the Romans, pick that side because that's one that's that's one of the sides, or pick the eh, we'll all get along to stay along that that kind of Jew." Pick one. The same way that this culture says to you, pick one. You're a Republican or you're a Democrat. Pick one right now. And Jesus said back to the Pharisees, yeah, who's, who's, uh, whose image is on the coin? Eh, give to Caesar who's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. There's some depth there, by the way, because what he's going to is back to Genesis, where the image of God is imprinted on you. So give to Caesar this thing, this physical wealth, but give to God yourself because Caesar's image is printed on the money, but God's image is printed on you. And Jesus split that difference. Jesus had the nuance, and he had this, inside that nuance was the truth. That we can have too, by the way. I know this culture screams at you. you got to pick a side, pick a side. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not picking a side. There should be discomfort identifying with either one of these parties. If you're following Jesus and you're identifying with either one of these parties, it should not be a good fit. Maybe you can make it fit, but you have to acknowledge it's not a good fit. It doesn't fit, it doesn't feel, fit well in here. And I've, I've got to take one quick side uh, aside because something occur, occurred to me. I learned something over this break I've, I've been on from work. A, an academic has come up with an actual term for something I've noticed. So I've criticized Rush Limbaugh, for example, uh, who I haven't listened to in years, and I'm smarter for it. He, uh, a couple years ago, switched the name of one of his catchphrases. He stopped saying the EIB, or Excellence in Broadcasting, Center for Advanced Conservative Studies, and he started calling it the Center for Advanced Anti-Leftist Studies. And it became a, a good picture of how conservatism doesn't mean anything anymore. It just means fight the left. It just means anti-left. So it doesn't matter if the people you identify with or let in are conservative. They can have no conservative bona fides at all, but they're anti-left. We can fight the left. We've got to fight the left. We've got to destroy them. And it was, and it's over there on the left too. Liberalism means very little anymore. It's just fight the right. We've got to fight the right. And he has come up with a term, this academic, can't remember his name right now, that it's negative polarization. So it's not that we're polarized by the ideas we have. So folks have been uh, polarized into the right because, well, really what I'd love is just try to get a balanced budget and uh, maybe some lower taxes would be great and less regulation. You'd like to see uh, more constitutional judges put on the bench. They're they're polarized over there because of what they believe. And then the left is polarized to to the left because, well, you know, Really, what we'd like over here is more government intervention in the economy. We'd like to see more regulation uh, of business, and I'd like to see higher taxes on everybody, and definitely way higher taxes on the rich. The actual polarization is a negative polarization. It doesn't matter if everybody on my side believes what I believe. I just know those people over there have to be destroyed. And that's where people are. I refuse to be there. I refuse to be defined by the people I don't like and defined by the people that don't agree with me. I actually specifically remember someone 
have in 2012 election posted something on one of the things back then on Facebook I was much more active posted something about how they hoped Obama would win just so those Christians will get get what they deserve basically because the Christians will be so sad if, if, if Obama wins and the, the vapidness of that the stupidity of it the, the, the shallowness the emptiness like you want something not because you want it but because you think it'll make someone else sad, that's how you're going to live your life? Not to get things that will make your life better and the people you love better. You're going to live your life defined by who you dislike. Wow, that's empty. So I had to give you that aside. Negative polarization is killing us as a culture. All right, here we go. I guess maybe something in me was trying to stall because part of me doesn't want to do this. The facts of the case for the Christian Civil War happening right now comes from a Christianity Today op-ed. I think what's healthiest is I read it. His name is Mark Galley. He's the editor-in-chief. This is the magazine started by Billy Graham. He's calling for the removal of President Trump. We're going to read it line by line, and I will respond line by line. Here we go. In our founding documents, Billy Graham explains that Christianity Today will help Christians interpret the news in a manner that reflects their faith, the impeachment of Donald Trump is a significant event in the story of our republic. It requires comment. First, I don't agree, actually. I don't think it's a significant event event in the story of our republic uh, because it was always going to happen once Democrats won Congress in 20, 2018, and he was always going to be acquitted. The end has always been set and settled. Uh, so it, it, I don't think it is a significant event in our history. Uh, I'm going to skip a paragraph here. Uh, we do feel it. Uh, necessary from time to time to make our opinions on political matters clear. Uh, and I, I got to skip some of this. We're going to run out of time. Um, here we go to the actual meat of it. Let's grant this to the president. The Democrats have had it out for him from day one. That's true. And therefore, nearly everything they do is under a cloud of partisan suspicion. That's true. There is no interest in the Constitution here from the Democrats. They just hate the guy and they want him gone. I don't have any affinity for him myself, but... I do have affinity for the Constitution. This has led, back to the op-ed, this has led many to suspect not only motives, but facts in these recent um, uh, impeachment hearings, to, to be uh, suspicious of them. And no, Mr. Trump did not have a serious opportunity to offer his side of the story. But the facts in this instance are unambiguous. This is very important. The fact, here, here's, here's what Mark Galley from Christianity Today is saying. The facts in this instance are unambiguous. The President of the United States attempted to use his political power to coerce a foreign leader to harass and discredit one of the President's political opponents. That is not only a violation of the Constitution, more importantly, it is profoundly immoral. So to Mark Galley, you're just wrong about that, man. The, the facts are, are ambiguous. That's kind of the problem. The President of the United States on a phone call to a foreign leader asked for investigations into political opponents, but it's not clear that his goal was to damage them for 2020. It is ambiguous. I tell you, I'm even confused by it. I am given to believe the worst about President Trump because he's a bad person, but it's not, it's not unambiguous. And so if you're telling me that call is the reason, that that's the immoral part. It's profoundly immoral. I love, I love Mark Galley, but hey, man, I don't think you have the, I don't think you have the facts to say that. That call, my theory, my theory of it, is President Trump is petty. He's always been petty. And he wanted some kind of clarification about 2016 because he knew there was suspicion about 2016. 
and he thought there'd be some uh, some things coming in, in, in that investigation to solidify that he was the, the true and right president for 2016. I just think it was a petty thing for him to do. All right, back to the op-ed. The reason many are not shocked about this is that, the, is that this president has dumbed down the idea of morality in his administration. That's true. The, the idea of morality in office has been irreparably damaged primarily by Donald Trump. Some have done before him, but then he, he has done away with it because the people who were going to defend it stopped. So it was supposed to be the right, it was supposed to be conservatives, specifically Christians, who have a prophetic voice to say leaders should be moral. But we had an immoral person, and Christians said, we love him, we should make him president, even though he's a terrible person. So yeah, the idea of morality in leadership has been damaged terribly by this person being elected. That's not impeachable, though. It's just bad for the country. Uh, continuing with the op-ed, he has hired and fired a number of people who were now convicted criminals. He himself has admitted to immoral actions in business and his relationship with women, about which he remains proud. His Twitter, his Twitter feed alone, with its habitual string of mischaracterizations, lies, and slanders, is a near-perfect example of a human being who is morally lost and confused. That, I agree with every word. He is, he's morally lost, he's confused, he does... Mis mischaracterize and slander everybody who says any wrong word about him. He's had an entire long life of just terrible stuff. He is at this moment still a terrible person and behaves badly. I, I, it does get on my nerves, people who go, well, all that stuff's in the past. No, it's not, all right? He's still, make, he, he's still saying things about Nancy Pelosi's teeth falling out, all right? That happened like in the last couple of weeks. We even saw when Trump responded to this, the way he responded to Christians in this was immoral in the tweet that he sent to Mark Galley. Th this is in this paragraph about President Trump being a bad person. It's true. You can't, but you cannot impeach and remove someone for being bad. You can't do it. The paragraph that mattered was the one two above that that said he he used his political power to do these things. Well, that's not it's not clear yet that he did those things. Continuing with the op-ed. Trump's evangelical supporters have pointed to his Supreme Court nominees, his defense of religious liberty, and his stewardship of the economy as achievements that justify their support of the president. We believe the impeachment hearings have made it absolutely clear in a way that the Mueller investigation did not that President Trump has abused his authority for personal gain and betrayed his constitutional oath. The impeachment hearings have illuminated the president's moral deficiencies for all to see. This damages the institution of the presidency, damages the reputation of our country, and damages both the spirit and the future of our people. None of the president's po positives can balance the moral and political danger we face under the, a leader of such grossly immoral character. Okay, I agree with 95% of that. It's, this is about his, his moral standing. No, uh, he's, he's, he's a bad person. And, he, and yes, this process has even illuminated even more that he's a bad person. And his, his immorality does damage the presidency and, uh, and the spirit of our people. That's all true. None of that, though, can justify removal of office. And that's the key here. I, I agree with all of the message that Mark Galley has here, but he's come to a weird conclusion that I can't get to. Um, uh, back to the op-ed. This concern for character of our national leader is not new. In 1998, we wrote this. So this is, for, this is back during the President Clinton impeachment. Christianity Today wrote, The president's failure to tell the truth, 
rips at the fabric of the nation. This is not a private affair, for above all, social intercourse is built on the presumption of trust. Uh, and while politicians are notorious for breaking campaign promises, while in office they have a fundamental obligation to uphold our trust in them and to live by the law. Unsavory dealings and immoral acts by the president and those close to him have rendered this administration morally unable to lead. That's interesting as an argument. And at the time for Clinton, I would have I would have agreed um, that the president did lie under oath. I'd have to wrestle through that. The galley's doing something that's a little messy here. It's kind of muddy. The president is being impeached for abuse of power. And for, uh, for, I forgot the second charge. And, and Galley's is, is conflating the two things. Like he's, he's saying, he's just a bad person and therefore he should be removed. My argument would be, he's such a bad person and he should be defeated in an election. For me, I'd like to see him defeated in a primary that we're not going to get. It's just that impeachment, I don't think, is the tool we should be using for getting rid of someone who damages the morality of the country. Uh, back to the op-ed, he says, Unfortunately, the words that we applied to Mr. Clinton 20 years ago apply almost perfectly to our current president. Whether Mr. Trump should be removed from office by the Senate or by popular vote next election, that's a matter of prudential judgment. That he should be removed, we believe, is not a matter of partisan loyalties, but loyalty to the creator of the Ten Commandments. That is a, a harsh statement, because he's saying, if you... We think it's a matter of a loyalty to God that he should be removed. I probably wouldn't have said it that way. Something in me deeply, deeply resonates with that message. That it has been bad for Christianity to defend this guy. It's, it's been bad. But I'm still trying to just trying to stay straight with the, the legality of it. And I just can't find the... Uh, can't find the, the legal grounds to remove someone for being immoral. Last paragraph. We, we have reserved judgment on Trump for years now. Some have criticized us for our reserve when it comes to condemning the behavior of another patient. To uh, The behavior of another patient charity must come first. You know what? Because we're running out of time, I'm going to skip this. This go, Let's keep moving on. So that's the op-ed. It blew up the Christian world, and then you got the reaction. So let's go through some reactions, and I, I, have some, I have some points that need to get made. First, there was the Trump reaction, and the Trump reaction was bad and very telling. He tweeted several things about this, but one was, I guess the folks of Christianity today want Elizabeth Warren to be president. She won't do all the things for you that I've done for you, which so misses the point. And if you think it nails the point, let me convince you that that's not the case. This should, this should not be a game Christians play. Where Christians trade their support, which is attached to the name of the God of the universe, they trade it for political favors. That is what Donald Trump is saying there. You guys defend me, Give me your vote. Support me. Be a cheerleader for me. I'll give you stuff you want. Oh, I, I'm not. Oh, I'm not playing that game. My, my fealty and integrity is of so much higher value than whatever little political thing you give me. No tax cut. No defense of religious liberty. No judge 
is a high enough price to pay for my integrity. I'm not doing that. And I'm not telling you that if you voted for him, you lost your integrity. You didn't. But when you like a Justin Bieber, like a little girly fan of his, when you just celebrate him and love him and defend everything he does, yeah, you are. You're losing your integrity. And that's something the church has done. And Donald Trump is even saying that right there. I do stuff for you. They won't do stuff for you. You should support me. We don't care about the stuff. We're supposed to care about right and wrong, not about favors. This is, I'll be a prophetic voice into this. We aren't here for political power. We're not here to get wins over the left. We're here to proclaim Jesus. And if we trade any, any of our credibility so that we can support a politician so we can get stuff, we have so damaged our witness. And that's where we have to decide what the bigger priority is going to be. Is it going to be political power and favors? Or is it going to be the kingdom of God? When we come back, a couple more reactions that were given out to this, and then I have some broader implications we need to think through in this Christian civil war. We'll do that when you come back for the, net, for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Thank you for sticking with us on the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk, 91.9 and 92.9, or wherever you find the podcast, wherever you listen. I am grateful. So we have the op-ed from Christianity Today. I read to you almost the entire thing there. My position on the op-ed was every terrible thing it said about the president is true, but the one paragraph that said he used his power to get an advantage over a political enemy, so he should be removed from office. I'm not there. For, so uh, that's, that's talk about nuance. You, you tend to have to be in this political realm. Either Donald Trump is the Lord, he's awesome, he's never done anything bad ever, he's great, or he should be removed. And I am the guy that says to both sides, I don't think you've made enough of a case to remove him from office. Also, you guys over there should probably stop throwing him a party. It's kind of weird. It's not good behavior. And so I'm sitting here in the middle. So uh, welcome to my world. A couple other reactions. So there were those out on Twitter I saw and in the Trump world that said, well, they're just liberal. Christianity Today is just liberal. Uh, <laughs> Christianity Today has been one of the most consistent pro-life voices, pro-religious liberty voices. They've been one of the best on all the transgender madness no, they're not just liberal. Also, brainiacs, that's called ad hominem. When you don't want to engage the argument of the person who made the argument, you just call them a name. So maybe this, grow up. They're not just liberal over at Christianity Today. That's not true. This is another very weird one. and It frustrates me to no end because I, I, I do love rhetoric. And the art of rhetoric, the art of using words, and the art of argument. So much so that like, I'm a guy who memorizes all the different, or at least I did back in high school. I probably still um, have a lot of them memorized if you named them. Uh, any, the, if you named them off, I could probably give you um, a definition um, of the different kinds of fallacies in arguments. Like that there is ad hominem, where you just don't, you don't engage... Um, there's the straw man, the appeal to ignorance, and the, I think there's one called yeah, slippery slope and circular argument, red herrings. Like, you go back through all those. I love that stuff. Like, how do you build a proper argument? 
And when I was seeing out on Twitter, and a little bit on Dr. Beam's show, by the way, and Hannah's show, Christian Worldview, were people saying, where were you about Obama? Where were you about Bush? Why didn't you talk about Obama and Bush? Uh, Objection? Relevance? Did you know that in a vacuum, objectively, you can say that Donald Trump's an immoral person, and if you never, ever, ever said a word about Barack Obama, you're still right? You don't have to say all of the things for you to say a true thing. That's irrational, illogical. I'm going to say it again. Grow up. Stop being a cheerleader for this orange man and grow up. Be smarter. It's a terrible argument. Where were you with Obama and Bush? Well, tell you what, especially with Obama, I was making I was making hay and I was making an audience out of beating up on that guy like crazy rhetorically. I mean, I was that's where I was. With with Bush, I might have been a smidge young, but I wasn't a Bush cheerleader. I had actually quite a few problems with some of the interrogation methods, and I talked about it then at the time. And I don't even I don't even understand the argument that it's if if you didn't say something about person A, you can't talk about Donald Trump. Here's the only question we should be asking ourselves: Is it true? Not, what did that person that's criticizing Donald Trump, did they also criticize this other person? Who cares? Is what they're saying true? That's how we evaluate things when we grow up and have a mature worldview. Two more things. Uh, The president of Christianity Today, because of the giant backlash, put out a letter that I thought was so good. Uh, We don't have time to read it. I I wanted to, but we're going to run out of time. The theme was a flag and a table. A flag and a table that what we all need to have is our flag in the ground. Here's what we believe. Here's what we think. But we also have a table. You can come talk. Just because your flag is different than my flag doesn't mean we can't have a conversation. So put your flag in the ground on what you believe. Think through that. Have some justification for what you believe. Have some biblical worldview for what you believe. And then have a table where you can talk to those that disagree. Final thoughts are the broader implications. So the, the deeper things we need to think about as this war has been happening uh, on in, in the Christian world regarding Donald Trump, basically. There's just there's a bunch of Christians who just love him and defend him like crazy. There's a bunch of Christians who, in an ungodly way, hate his guts. There's another group of Christians, I think like me, who are just trying to call everybody away from the idolatry of politics. So here's just some broader implications. One of the things I've articulated poorly in terms of my concern over this is how Christians can sacrifice their witness over Donald Trump. And here's what I mean. There are broad swaths of people who think that Donald Trump hates them. That, that might be unfair. You can, that, that's fine. It doesn't change the truth. There, there are Hispanic people and some African-American people. There's groups of people who need Jesus who think Donald Trump doesn't like them. Or there's a bunch of people who need Jesus who find his behavior off-putting. And so then now we have to ask ourselves the question, is our job on earth to defend Donald Trump or is our job on earth to go to the people without Jesus? And so one of the problems we're going to cause ourselves is this. There's going to be people who see you out there on social media, see you and your voice, 
talking about how much you love this guy and you defend him and he's the best. And then you want to speak Jesus to that person and you've caused yourself a big old problem because they know your standards. They know what you're for. And so it's, it's just not healthy for your Christian witness. I would encourage you to ask this question to yourself. When you think about the fact that there are other people who don't support your, your president, and they might even vote for like a socialist, do you have the attitude towards them of, how could they? How dare they? What, 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 how ridiculous are they? Have you thought for a second about asking yourselves how they got there? Why they think that? Maybe even asking them why they think that? Asking some questions, and I mean, I could do better at this too. Asking some questions, getting to know. This is, this is one of my big themes. We are not here to beat the unbelievers in elections. We're here to win the unbelievers. So that's all I'm asking you here. Don't defend and support this guy at the cost of something very important, our actual witness to the world. Put your faith in Christ over politicians. Make that clear. Spend more time on Christian things than you do political things. Ask yourself, what are my priorities in life? Would I rather beat someone on the left in an election, or would I rather see them come to Jesus? And be honest with yourself. Which one would you rather? Would you rather someone convert to Jesus or convert to republicanism? Would you rather someone convert from liberalism to conservatism or from death to life? Which one are you more excited about in your heart? And one last thing. Stop believing this lie. Elections are never the most important thing. I'm so tired of that. It's the most important election of our lifetimes. No, it's not. You have a hundred of the things that are more important in your life right now than what happens in 2020. Stop giving so much time and effort and emotion to elections. They're important, but there are other things, eternal things, imminently more important than what happens in November of 2020. That was very little fun going through all of that. And I'm sure it's a continuing conversation. If you have thoughts, you can send them to CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, or find me anywhere on social media. Just look for Corey Truax. We're all out of time. Let's move on to sports. Are you ready? This is a particularly joyous sports segment for you Clemson fans out there. Not so much for Ohio State fans out there. <laughs> We're going to talk about the, uh, the was that the Fiesta Bowl? The Fiesta, yeah. That's PlayStation, not Tostitos. Yeah, uh, that's that's hard for me to, that's hard for I me. I still to, call it Tostitos. I think you and I both But stro- I still call it the Balo Center too, so. I was going to say that. <laughs> you might struggle with the well. Right. But it's, it's tradition. I don't think once in my life have I said the well. Uh, oh, I definitely would do it at work Because when I say we're going to the well, people assume we're going to my backyard. Yeah, That's how that works. I actually have, have one. Yeah. A natural fountain type thing. <laughs> uh, I have a ton to say about this bowl, but yep. I'd rather start I'd rather start with you. So your just general reaction, what you got from that game? I thought Ohio State's game plan coming out of the gate was great. The tempo, I don't think I don't think Clemson was expecting that. What I do like about Clemson and Venables and the staff, they make adjustments better than anybody in the yes. country, in my opinion. Yes. Um and in the second half was a totally different ball game. Um, but I thought coming out of the gate, they looked Ohio State looked great. World I beaters. think they they got Clemson on their heels, but Clemson recovered pretty well. The general, I want to give you my general narrative of the game, and you tell me if I if I got any of this wrong. Those teams are very equally matched. 
It's probably to me. I don't yeah. interrupt you. Go ahead. The the two most talented teams in the country, and they're equally matched. One team had the experience to take advantage of most of their opportunities. Yep. And another team just didn't. Oh, another well, one of the teams has never been in that situation. Yeah. And, and here's another thing. I don't think Clemson wins this game without the North Carolina game. We say it every mm. year. You, if you're not, you know, tested by quote unquote the fire. You, yeah. You're you're not as strong as you would be. Without the North Carolina game, I don't think they win this game. That's actually a great point. The specific instances for me, give you, I'll give yep. you two. Well, I can give you three right now. Of of uh, <laughs> of ways Ohio State had opportunities. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, um, Go ahead. Here's my big two. They didn't score in the red zone once because J.K. Dobbins dropped a screen pass where he would have walked yep. in. He just didn't have it in the moment right. like Clemson players have it. Yep. And there was a right tackle with a false start in the red zone that shut down and made him force another field yep. goal. That stuff doesn't happen to experienced teams. That's right. My three are three trips to the red zone for Ohio State, three field goals. Yeah. That changes the game. That changes the game. I know a lot of people are fussing about the calls. I'll be honest with you. That if By definition of the rule, that is textbook targeting. It was. You can look at this at the still picture and see it. Now, the catch fumble, I, when initially when I saw it in live, I thought, okay, that's an incomplete pass. I did too. And then the announcers start talking, and they said, well, he made a football move. So I'm like, okay, it was a catch. Okay. But then their in-house retired referee guy says, no, it's not a catch. So I'm, I'm back to it's not a catch. Um, but – Take out all that, all those calls, both of those calls. Ohio State scores three field goals and three trips to the red zone. They have the lead with three minutes to play in the game. Clemson is on the six-yard line with 94 yes. yards to go, and you have the lead. Yeah. Four-play drive, they score a touchdown. All you had to do was stop them. Yes. Not only did you have, even if you didn't stop them, which they didn't, you have the ball back yes. inside the 30 mm-hmm. to win the game, and yeah. you throw a pick. Yeah. That's not the refs. I am not abiding this blame it on the refs. No, thing. I it's hate that. I people. hate it so bad because and Clemson players do it too. Sure, the last time we lost, you know, Clemson lost was Alabama with Kelly Bryant. Obviously, we couldn't score, but then people, well, the refs were no, 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 no. no. The, the refs are human. There's a human element yep. to the game. There were calls missed both ways. Yes, not, just excluding those two. You play the game. Yeah. You had plenty of opportunities to stop Clemson. Yes. They're 94 yards away from yes. winning. Where Not only s- that, you had a minute and a half, and you get to the inside the 30, and you throw a pick. We are so on the same page right now, because I've wanted to just get this rant where it's, did did the ref make you throw the ball to Nolan Turner at the end? Did the ref make yeah. J.K. Dobbins drop that ball? I mean, you Did the ref make shots. Olave break off to a secondary route because he thought Fields was scrambling yep. and Fields was not scrambling, yep. threw it to the first option? No, he didn't. You have the, the game in front of you. You had every opportunity. All you have to do is stop Clemson on their own six-yard line, yep. and you didn't do it. You had your opportunity to win the game, and if, if you come out of that game having not taken advantage of your opportunities yep. and start pointing at the Zebras, you, you might belong on the stage – on talent, but you don't belong in the stage yet in your mentality. Or your maturity. Yeah. Even Ryan Day. Even in the I, win. Yeah. You, you can tell these Clemson guys have been there. They've been prepared for this stage. All credit to Ohio State. Ohio State. Yes, Ohio State. Absolutely. Ohio State. Ohio State. What does Day do when he gets up there? Oh, I'm angry. Why are you angry? Oh, all the calls didn't go our way. I, I was so annoyed at him. You sound like a six-year-old child is what you sound like. So That's what you sound like. Because Clemson is so good and I have so much respect for them, I tend to love the coaches that surprised Clemson, like Dino Babers. Yeah. I actually like him a lot. And when I saw that game start, I had so much respect for Ryan Day. Like, so did what I. Game plan you until had. the post game conference, and he ruined it. He ruined it. I said, "Oh man, these guys are ready. This is going to yes. be an awesome game." Uh, let's go back to this. Clemson is down sixteen to nothing. Oh my gosh, 
So what are you fussing about? I know. What are you fussing about? You had the chance to be up 24 nothing or different, but you didn't take care of Here's your Here's the difference business. between championship-level teams. You get hit in the mouth, yeah. you stand up, and you swing back. Yes. You don't get hit in the mouth and lay down and the, get and counted out. You don't. So we, we both came away really annoyed at Ryan Day, it sounds like. Yeah, Ryan Day, I, the players, yeah. the fans, Twitter, Facebook. I just want, just want to say, what are you crying for? With a, so I want to highlight two things for, for Clemson as well. When uh, Chase Young was lined up against Ankrum, yep. Ankrum had some problems. But when they lined him up on backside against Jackson Carmen, Carmen handled his business. They had to move Chase Young off of Carmen so he could have a plus. Yep. He had one tackle, no tackles for loss, yes. no sacks, one quarterback hurry. I was so impressed. Look, he may be the best defensive end in the country. I think but yes. like we said weeks ago, Isaiah Simmons is the best defensive player in the country. That interception. The interception. He played multiple positions yeah. against, quote-unquote, the most talented team in the country. I need a sports science on how far he ran to get the interception. Well, he's playing deep over middle? the top, deep middle safety, and he runs all the way to the boundary and catches the pass. He had to run like 40 yards. He did. It I was, mean, I, I, of course, I record it, and I yeah. go back and, you know, my kids make fun of me because I watch But I'm watching different things every time I watch it. Yeah. I want to see what the line does, what the me backers too. do, you know, what, this, what the secondary does. He ran a long way to catch that ball. To, to this extent. Fields can't go to the sideline and say, I shouldn't have thrown that. Well, yeah, you should have. No, he should have. It was a superhuman move. The, he should have thrown it. Yeah. Everybody in the country would have thrown that pass. No no question. It was the right read. Yeah. And how about Fields has one interception, 40 touchdowns, all up to this game, and he has two interceptions. Two interceptions. That's, That's just good defense. It's such a, a Brent Venables thing to do. Can somebody give Clemson's defense some credit this oh, year boy. since they were supposed to not be good this year? They've, they've got plenty of love for me. Right. Okay. So those nine minutes went by really quickly. When we come back together next week, <laughs> can we preview this LSU game? Oh, yeah, it's going to be a good one. We'll do it in depth, but just we have 30 seconds. In general, I actually think Clemson can now run the ball in LSU, and I think they're going to score some serious points in LSU. LSU gave up 38 points to Vanderbilt, gave up 38 to 37 to Ole Miss, and Ole Miss rushed for 402 yards against LSU. Now, LSU scored over 60 in both games. Yep. But LSU, uh, it is what it is. going to have quite the homecoming. Uh, thanks for coming in and doing sports. I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week, including an LSU Clemson preview. We'll do that when you come back next week for the Corey Truax Show.